0: As the ushers are coming and collecting the offering, I would invite you to grab your bulletin. As Ernie said, next week is Time Change Sunday. That means we get an extra hour of sleep. For those of you that can never figure out, fall means we sleep more. Spring means we lose an hour. That's next Sunday. So make sure you set your clocks on Saturday night, fall back. Also want to make you aware of a great opportunity uh, that's happening this week at our church. The holidays are really difficult when you have experienced loss in your life. And we have a wonderful member of our church lady by the name of Joyce Trummel who has offered for quite some time now opportunities for those struggling with the grief process. She is offering a one-session gathering this Thursday night at 7 o'clock. You don't have to sign up. It doesn't cost you anything. It's going to meet in our conference room, which is downstairs, uh, west side of our building, back basement, um, by the office doors, Please, if you are struggling, if you know somebody that's struggling, this will be a great one-hour get-together. We will be offering a more extended grief class in the springtime, but that is this Thursday. Also want to remind you, Doug Maris will be back with us this Wednesday for Walk Through Revelation. He was not able to be here on the previous Wednesday due to some uh, last-minute job issues, but um, he is going to be back, and it was a great time. How many of you were at the first Walk Through Revelation? on October 17. I was really blessed by it. You will be blessed as well. This Wednesday, 630 Family Life Center. Well, we are in the middle, literally the middle, of our Designer Sex series. And I was supposed to preach last week on Part 3, and I couldn't talk. That's never happened to me before in my life. I'm kind of struggling right now. I'm not sure what that's about. But um, I want to just catch you up where we've been on October 7. We looked at Do Not Buy the Lies. And we articulated 10 different lies about sex that culture tells us some of the lies we hear at church, unfortunately. And and the big idea was don't buy these lies. Two weeks ago, we talked about purity and about how, above all else, we are called as Christ followers to be pure. Whether we're single or we're married or we used to be married and we're no longer married, God calls us to a life of purity. That's His will for you if you are a Christ follower. Next week, we're going to look at Marriage by the Book, and it is part of the Designer Sex series. And we're going to articulate what God's master plan really was when it came to marriage and it came to sex, and how it is a beautiful plan. And today, week three, we're looking at the issue of homosexuality and Christ followers. And I need to just kind of let you know why we are here this month and why we've arrived at a message on homosexuality. Uh, one of the things I get to do in my job that I love to do is I get to sit down with people that want to know more about First Christian Church. They want to know more about what we believe. They want to know more about maybe how you become a member. And recently, I would say in May and June and early July, I had the opportunity to sit down with three different couples or individuals and went through a handout that we have, we talk about the six staples of First Christian Church. We're saved by the grace of God. Our authority comes from God's Word. We practice baptism by immersion. We do communion every week, every member ministry. And that's usually about a 30-minute time frame where I articulate who we are, what's our purpose statement, who's our leadership, how do you become a member. And at the end of each session, I always try to throw out just a very vanilla question. Do you have any other questions? Is there anything else that maybe I have not shared adequately that you want to know about myself or our church? And all three individuals said, well, we don't really have anything about this handout. This handout's really sufficient, but where do you stand on same-sex marriage? Where, where do you stand on that issue? And uh, i got to just tell you, I was stunned. That's a good question. And I really became convicted right then and right there that, that I have erred. I have fallen short. We, as a leadership, have fallen short when it comes to maybe the biggest issue culturally facing our country today. Our president, you probably know this, has come out in the last several months, saying his opinion has changed on the issue of same-sex marriage. He now supports same-sex marriage, and I just realized we've got hundreds of people coming to church, and we're not tackling that issue. We're not talking about that subject. So what I want to do today is I want to, to give a fair look at the issue of homosexuality in Christ followers. And I want to give you permission to not be pleased with what you hear today, okay? I, we don't all drink the Kool-Aid, okay? If you struggle with some part of this, this message, that's okay. I had someone come up to me after first service and said, i got a real problem with that. We're going to sit down and we're going to visit this week. And I want to extend that invitation to you. But what I want you to do more than anything else is I want you to understand what the big idea for this message is. And this is a big idea if you're in junior high or senior high. This is the big idea if you're an adult, if you're a senior citizen. Here's the big idea for the week. I believe God's word is really clear on the issue of homosexuality. I think sometimes we read God's word and we take a contemporary issue. And I don't think it always is crystal clear. I could articulate for you some issues where I feel like those are maybe gray areas. We would call those issues of opinion and liberty. I really believe studying God's Word. God's Word has a clear message for us. And I want to take you back to the message I preached two weeks ago. And and it was the bottom line. Paul does a great job with the Christians at Thessalonica uh, of articulating that it's God's will that they be pure. That they be sanctified that they avoid sexual immorality. And as he's going through it, he wraps up with these words in verse 7. He says, God didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction doesn't reject man, but he rejects God who gives you his Holy Spirit. And what Paul's really saying is, if you're ticked off at this message, don't be ticked off at me, be ticked off at God. And I think for some of us, this is a really emotional issue. We've got a friend, we've got a parent, we've got a child, we've got a coworker, we've got a neighbor, and it's become personal for us. And we kind of, we've got our fists clenched a little bit on the inside. We're not sure how we're going to take what we're about to hear. And I want to just put you at ease And say, let us first and foremost be people that let God's word speak to us. So with that, let's dive in. I'm going to be flying. This may feel like a college lecture more than it does a sermon. It is what it is, and I want to start by talking about the cultural landscape of America in 2012 on the issue of homosexuality. I sat down at my desk two weeks ago tomorrow, and I just started writing down some reflections, and here's what I came up with. Number one, more people than ever before in 2012 are publicly embracing the homosexual lifestyle. That's just a fact. The reality of same-sex marriage is upon us, and more Americans support the legalization of same-sex marriage than ever before. There have been a plethora of surveys and studies and polls that have come out this year, and just bottom line, about half of America says we're okay with same-sex marriage. And that's a radical shift from even 10 years ago. Many Christian denominations are teaching that it is well within God's will to be a practicing homosexual. That's that's just a fact. You could find a church not far from here that that would teach that. They would proclaim that. Fourth, the homosexual lobby has become a major political force to be reckoned with. They are doing a phenomenal job getting their message out. Number five, fringe Christian groups, and I want to identify one. I want to call them out by name. The Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas. They've done an incredible amount of damage on this issue and other issues with their hate-filled demonstrations and attacks. They're the crowd that shows up at funerals of military heroes that have died serving their country and they hold up very profane signs speaking very poorly of homosexuals. They use the word hate a bunch. Okay? And I, I'm sickened when I see their act on display But they're hurting our cause. That's a cultural fact in America 2012. And then my final consideration that just hit me that Monday is that I want you to just for a moment consider the words that are used in media today to describe Christians who oppose same-sex marriage or consider the homosexual lifestyle to be outside of God's will based on Scripture. And I didn't just make these up. I read these words. The words are bigot. It's hate speech. There are people that are now saying God's word is hate speech. That's a quote. Legalist, homophobe, the list could go on and on. So that's a long setup. That's a long introduction uh, for me to say to you, this is a big issue. And a 25-minute sermon by Greg Taylor isn't going to solve the issue, and I understand that. So what I want to do this morning in the time that we have is I want to answer four questions Questions that I came up with that I want to share with you. Number one, what's my heart on the issue of homosexuality? Number two, what's God's Word teach us about homosexuality? Number three, what should be our response to the same-sex issue? And number four, what should be our takeaway from this study on homosexuality? So with number one, I thought it'd be good for me just to share with you my heart. It's probably not what you think it is in many ways. And I want to start with this. Number one, homosexual behavior is not the unforgivable sin. You go to many churches, you hear many preachers, you read certain books, and you would think that it was. You would think that it was the worst sin that you could commit. It is a sin. I think you're going to see as we study God's Word that God's Word is clear on that. But hear me, people don't go to hell because they're homosexuals. People go to hell because Jesus isn't Lord of their life. That's a New Testament doctrinal position. And we have to understand that. It's not the unforgivable sin. Secondly, homosexuals matter to God. I can't say that loud enough. And unfortunately, many well-meaning Christian preachers and teachers have articulated exactly the opposite. Some of their sermons have been hateful. Some of their conversations have been awful. And so if you work with someone, if you live near someone, if you have a family member that is a homosexual, you need to understand they matter to God. Bottom line. I can't say that clearly enough. Number three, and this may offend you, many of us need to repent. We've shared jokes that aren't very funny to people struggling with this issue. We've gotten cheap laughs out of something that we heard on a cable show. And uh, I, I know people that wrestle with this issue. I, I have family that wrestle with this issue. Um, it hurts. It's tough. I've sat in my office since I've been here with two different individuals that very much struggle with the feelings that they claim, and the truth they believe God's word embodies. And and one of them said to me, one of the great challenges for me is to overcome all the hate from Christians. Many of us, we need to repent. And then finally, my heart tells me, my mind shows me that God's word has a very clear teaching on homosexuality. And so I don't want to talk anymore about what I think. I, I wanted to share with you my heart, but I want to right now get into the bulk of this message by looking at what's God's Word have to say on this issue. And we're not going to start with the Mosaic Law. That's where most people start. They go to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. I want to start way before that, Genesis chapter 2. If you have a Bible, grab it. If you don't have a Bible, grab a pew Bible. Genesis chapter 2 is the second chapter in the Bible, and I want to look at creation. Genesis 2, beginning with the second part of verse 20, all the way through verse 25. It reads like this, But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man, and the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And what I want you to see here is that human sexuality does not begin with the law Human sexuality begins with creation. It was God's original plan for human sexuality to be male and female. That's God's plan. That's where we have to start. Let's move on to the Mosaic Law. And I could pick 30 different scriptures from the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They all say the same thing in essence related to the issue of homosexuality. I picked out two. Exodus 18:22 Exodus twenty thirteen, this hopefully gives you a flavor of what the law is saying related to this issue. Exodus eighteen twenty-two, don't lie with a man as one lies with a woman, that is detestable. Exodus twenty thirteen. If a man lies with a woman as one lies with a if a, if a man lies with a man as one lies with a woman, both have done what is detestable. They must be put to death. Their blood will be on their own heads. And the point here is a total condemnation of homosexual behavior. Now I gotta take a quick time out right here. Because I'm getting ready at 1230 today to break the Mosaic Law. I'm really hungry right now, and I'm going to have a ham and cheese sandwich very soon, hopefully, okay? And I'm not going to be put to death for doing that. So I need to let you know, not everything in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy do do we follow today. And that's an argument that many people have made. How can you throw that out? How can you even go down that road when you're not keeping the entirety of the law? That's a a charge that is leveled. I just want you to understand that from the very beginning, God's plan at creation was male-female sexuality. And God's law from the earliest days of Israel being His people was... Homosexual behavior is outside his will. Let's move on. Let's go to Jesus. Um, I spent time this week at Lincoln at a seminar led by a man by the name of Kent Paris. Kent Paris is a brother in the Lord. He has a ministry where he reaches out to people struggling with this issue. He struggled with the issue himself for the first 19 years of his life. Incredible, incredible ministry. And he, he shared this week a pamphlet that basically says on the front what Jesus had to say about homosexuality, and you open it up, and it's blank. Now, why would you put something else out there like that? Why would you put a pamphlet out there like that? The message that they're trying to drive home is this, and you've heard this, many of you have heard this, Jesus never addressed the issue of homosexuality. Anybody ever heard that? That's kind of prominent right now. I I disagree with that, and I want to show you why. In Matthew chapter 19, Jesus was asked a question about divorce. Pharisees came to him and said, hey, Moses said we can get divorced for any and every reason. What say you, O Jesus? And here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, haven't you read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? They're no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. It's obvious here first and foremost that Jesus affirms Genesis 2. Did that sound familiar to you as I read that? It should. Because we just read it in Genesis chapter 2. So Jesus affirms Genesis 2. He's asked about the marriage issue and he weighs in and says God my Father had it right in Genesis chapter 2. And I would make the case that Jesus is not silent on the issue of homosexuality or same sex marriage. He had an opportunity right here. To say, you know what? That was the old covenant. Let me tell you what the new teaching is going to be. He didn't do that. Sometimes he did that, didn't he? Sometimes he took the opportunity to expand upon an Old Testament law. He didn't do that there. He affirmed it, first and foremost. All right, let's move on to some of the teachings of Paul. Again, just As a person of integrity, I need to let you know that there are some Christians that have just pretty much done away with Paul when it comes to the issue of homosexuality. If you went and you talked to someone that might be giving like a counter-sermon to what I'm giving you today, they would say Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6 have no part of a study on this issue, because they, they would use all kind of names to describe Paul. I'm trying to give you a total picture of what God's Word has to say on this issue. And in Romans chapter one, Paul has a lot to say. Here's what he says: Because of this, Romans one, God gave them over to their shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion although they know god's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death they not only continue to do these very things but they also approve of those who practice them and then in 1 corinthians chapter 6 what i think personally might be the most helpful new testament passage on this issue apostle paul says don't you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of god do not be deceived Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Now, Allison, I want you to put that last slide up. Go back to the first part of 1 Corinthians 6. Um, One more. Yeah, right there, right there. Um, Anything grab you about that passage of Scripture right there? I mean, it's right there. Homosexual offenders, no getting around the issue. But what else is there? A whole bunch of things that some of us struggle with, isn't it? Anybody here greedy? Anybody here driving to church today saying, man, I just hate my car, and look at what he's driving, or look at what she's driving? You're lusting for their vehicle. You ever been there? What about slander? I know in Clinton, Illinois, nobody has the struggle with slander, but uh, not so much, right? You know what I think the Apostle Paul's trying to drive home here? I think he's trying to drive home that this is all a big deal. And when you engage in these types of sexual behavior that's outside of God's will, you're living outside of God's will. And when you have a greedy heart, you're living outside God's will. And when you slander, you're living outside of God's will. And when you steal, you're living outside of God's will. And when you are a drunkard, you're living outside of God's will. That's extra. That's not even in the notes. That just that hit me as I was preparing today on a message that, that's being dealt with, the issue of homosexuality, that it is a big deal, but there are a lot of issues we struggle with that are big deals. So what I, want to take, what I want you to take from Romans 1 and 1 Corinthians 6, you have to see there a total condemnation of homosexual behavior along with several other behaviors. It's there. Scripture number five isn't a scripture itself. It's just an acknowledgment that nowhere in God's Word have I found a passage that either endorses homosexual behavior or mentions it in, in a neutral kind of way. Now, if it's there, I'd like you to show it to me. I've not seen it. I believe God's Word has a very clear teaching on this issue. Let's move on. Question three. So what should be our response to the same-sex issue? I I shared with you earlier that I really believe it's inevitable that it will become legal in America. I think it's going to become legal in Illinois before it becomes legal in America. Um, It may happen in the next five years. It may happen sooner. I don't know. But it's a reality that's going to happen. Someone came up to me afterwards and said, Oh, you're just trying to scare us. You're just trying to get us to vote for certain candidates in the election. I'm really not. It's inevitable. It's going to happen. And so I've got three suggestions for us. And number one is this we have to articulate the truth. God's word is clear that marriage was created to be a male female union. I, that's God's word, that's the truth. And so when all three people this summer and spring asked me, where do you stand on the issue? I said, you know, I believe God's Word cl- creates a very clear picture. Marriage is between one woman and one man. Bottom line. I, I will not perform a same-sex union. And, and I will just tell you, th- that could impact the ministries of First Christian Church. It really could. Number two. We also have to understand that we live in a pluralistic society. America is a democracy. We're not a theocracy. And what I mean by that is, I want everyone in America to be on fire for the Lord. I want everyone in Clinton to be on fire for the Lord. I want everyone in your neighborhood to be on fire for the Lord. But we're not going to pull that off legislatively. We're not going to pull that off at the ballot box. It's a good thing that we have separation of church and state. It really is. Now, I think some people have taken it too far. I think some people try to take it places our founding fathers never intended. But aren't you glad when you woke up this morning you had the freedom to go to church? You had the freedom to decide where you want to worship? You had the freedom to decide who you want to study the Bible with? It is a blessing that America is a democracy, not a theocracy. I mean, how many of us saw the news reports of the 14-year-old girl in Pakistan that they almost, the, the Taliban almost murdered her. You, you know what her crime was? She was advocating that young girls should get to go to school. You know how the Taliban justified that? Their religion. Their religion. There are places on the face of this earth, countries, where there is a theocracy. Many of these countries are ruled by leaders that are, are passionate Muslims. They embrace the religion of Islam. And there is no freedom. And I thank God for the freedom that we have. But we have to understand, that doesn't mean you can hear this sermon and march over to the courthouse and say things are going to change because Greg Taylor preached a sermon. Things are going to change because I'm on fire now. It's a blessing that we live in America. And oh, by the way, come back in two weeks on Veterans Day and we're going to help give you a vision for why it's such a blessing. Number three, prepare for the inevitable reality of legalized same-sex marriage in Illinois and the USA um, I've really been struck I would say the last four months that in my preaching and in my teaching and in our study of the Bible together we have to acknowledge that we can't expect people that aren't Christians to live like Christians we can't expect people that aren't Christ followers to live like they're Christ followers. See, I think a better idea is, how about all the Christ followers start living like Christ followers? That'd be a great place to start in many ways. But you need to understand, there's probably going to be some tense moments when this reality comes into place. And there's the possibility that that you're going to find yourself on the other end of a very unpleasant conversation, potentially. And you need to be ready. You need to be prepared we need to know, what are we going to say? What's our answer going to be? And that really helps me kind of transition into the final part of this message, part four. What should we take away from the study of homosexuality? And and I've wrestled with this probably more than any other part of this message. The Bible part, man, that was easy, quite honestly. It's God's word. But who do I want you to take from this? And Number one and I think most importantly because we live in a, in a world where we're told truth can be whatever we want truth to be. I want you to understand if you're a Christ follower God's word gives you and me a clear teaching on homosexual behavior. It's outside God's will for Christ followers. I wish I could say something else. I can't. That is God's word. And if you're a Christ follower You should live by the model that we articulated five weeks ago when we had the sermon on the Bible. We speak where the Bible speaks, and we're silent where the Bible is silent. That's the sermon we talked about gambling and drinking, by the way, in case you're not remembering what sermon that is. We speak where the Bible speaks. We're silent where the Bible is silent. Number two, we have to commit to treat the issue of homosexuality and homosexual behavior fairly. And I would say for far too long, I think Christians have went to one of two extremes, and both are wrong. One, we've made it the worst sin somebody can commit. We've made it the sin of all sins, and that's not treating the issue fairly. God's Word doesn't do that. You won't find a sexual sin in Scripture that's a no-big-deal sin. You won't find a sin in Scripture that's a no-big-deal sin. Now, we've done that ourselves. Ah, it's just a small little lie. It's just misrepresenting the truth. Sin is sin. It's missing the mark. It's outside of God's will. So we have to treat the issue fairly, but at the same time, God's word has spoken. God's word is true. And so don't gravitate to the side that say, well, I just want to make people happy. I just want to be politically correct treat the issue fairly. Third, number three, I think we have to acknowledge the difference between homosexual orientation and homosexual behavior. Um, I've been in ministry over 23 years, and in that time, I've encountered several individuals, male and female, that have wrestled with this issue. And some, you know, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story with some is they chose the homosexual lifestyle. And they just, from faith, they're, they're just not there. That was the choice that they made. But in three different instances, I have encountered people, all men, who have really had the same testimony. And they've said, um, I'm pretty sure I'm gay. I didn't want to be gay. I didn't ask to be gay, but I'm pretty sure I'm gay. I look at a woman and nothing happens. And I, I look at a man and, and I have a physical attraction there. And, and they've all said the same thing. I don't know if God made me that way. I'm just telling you that's how I feel. But all three of these have also said that they would say an amen to part two of the sermon." That God's words are really clear on this issue, that homosexual behavior is outside God's will. And so all three have said, you know what, I'm going to honor God. I'm going to be a 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 7 and 8 kind of guy. God's word says it, I'm going to follow it. And so how I would describe them, I would say there's someone that, that's an individual that has a homosexual orientation, but they realize behaving on that, acting on that, living in that way sexually is outside God's will for their life. I asked Kent Paris, the expert from Champagne on this issue, I said, Kent, I know you've dealt with this your whole life. If you were me and you were visiting with that individual and they shared that testimony, what should I do? Should I try to condemn them? Should I try to tell them that they're wrong, their feelings aren't ready there? He said, Greg, if I were you, I'd look them in the eye and say, praise God for the choice that you've made to abstain what is wrong according to God's word. And and that makes some of us really uncomfortable, doesn't it? We want to condemn. There's a difference between someone saying, I have this feeling, and I know it's outside God's will, and I'm not going to go down that road, and someone that full bore says, it doesn't matter what God's word says to me. And then finally, number four, you are called, if you're a Christ follower, to be salt and to be light. Um, I like to argue. My wife will attest to that. I I love to win an argument. Uh, I should have been in the debate club in high school in many ways. Um, And many of you are like that. And this is an issue where we could do a lot of debating with people on the other side of the issue. This is an issue that if you're a Christian, I, I believe you've got the ammunition of God's word behind you. And here's what I want to tell you. In a country where 50% of our country says same-sex marriage should be legalized, we're probably not going to win too many people by arguing, by debating, by putting up our intellectual fists and fighting. And so I challenge you today, to consider the words of Jesus Christ early in the Sermon on the Mountain, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Love people. Give people permission to disagree with you. Build a relationship with them, understanding that the key to winning someone to Jesus Christ isn't having all the answers. Many times, it's starting with showing the love of jesus interpersonally you're called to be salt you're called to be light and so each week i've concluded the message by trying to give you a a scripture that's going to lead into to the next week's message and i landed this morning with first corinthians chapter six the end of the chapter the apostle paul spent the entire chapter talking about um, sex (laughs) talking about immorality talking about just how bad the the community of Corinth was and how the Christians in Corinth were being infiltrated by the community in many ways. And he chooses to end it like this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. And so I just leave this challenge to you. Maybe you've never, ever, ever wrestled with the issue of homosexuality and you don't know anyone that ever has. This verse speaks to you. We are called, as Christ followers, to live like Christ called us to live. To honor God with all of our lives. And that includes the choices that we make sexually. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. And thank you for the opportunity to gather together and to study uh, an issue that has is, uh, really taken our, our country by storm in a lot of ways. A lot of opinions. A lot of passion on this issue. And it's my prayer that we will always be people of your word. That your word will always speak truth to us. And that when culture goes against your word, we'll choose your word. I pray that we can be people of love, we can be salt, we can be light. And that you'll give us opportunities, maybe this week, maybe even today, to start engaging people that don't know Jesus that are struggling with issues that are waging war against their soul. Thank you for the difference Jesus makes. It's all about him. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Craig. This is our invitation time. And so if you have a decision to make for for Jesus Christ and his, his church, maybe something you've been struggling with this week We invite you to come forward. Greg's up front. John's up front. Bob's up front. I'll be up front. If you need prayer this morning, we invite you to come forward as well as we stand together and sing.